Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well... Oh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Save big money in your next project with help from Menards. Move water where you need it quickly with a Barracuda sump pump. Sump pumps keep your basement dry when big storms hit unexpectedly. Get a half-horsepower cast iron Barracuda sump pump on sale now through May 5th. Hurry into Menards and don't forget to check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. Hello and welcome to another episode of I Weigh with Jamila Jamil, a podcast against shame. Now, if you can sense some urgency in my voice, that is because this is such an important episode. It might be one of the most important episodes I've ever had on this podcast due to what is happening in America right now. In the United States of America, we have the midterms coming up. Now, midterms, something that I never paid particular attention to. I know a lot of people haven't. The media still isn't fucking paying attention to the midterms the way they should. This should be all we're talking about. We're still talking about fucking don't worry, fucking darling, when we should be talking about the midterms and we aren't really seeming to fully understand the gravity of what's at stake here democracy is hanging in the balance and this next few weeks might be our last chance to secure it and if we miss this chance we might lose most of our fucking basic rights especially those of us who are marginalized to be seen as full human beings in the united states of america that is not hyperbole. That is not exaggeration. And the reason I feel confident in that is that I have the excellent Ashley Allison on this podcast. She is an extraordinary educator, a CNN commentator, uh, an organizer, an advocate, someone with the most intimidating resume of her activism career that I've seen in a very long time, an amazing communicator. She is on here explaining to me the gravity of these midterms, how we can be involved, how we can help others become involved, and how important it is that we use our votes that we have access to because so many people are being increasingly denied access to the vote. And that is because our democracy is under attack. So we have a very no bullshit chat together about what is happening, what is at stake. I as an English person and someone who has never been politically active in my youth. And so I'm still kind of coming to this now in the last kind of decade of my life. Uh, she has educated me in this hour. I hope she'll be able to educate you. I hope she will galvanize you. I hope she will fill you with not just a little bit of fear and panic, but mostly hope and inspiration. That's the thing that makes her stand out to me is her hopeful, progressive, restorative uh, attitude towards the future of the United States. And this woman has seen enough in her life, both in her personal life and her political life, to feel completely disenfranchised and to just give up. And she doesn't. She can still see the light. And so if she can, we can. And she's here to guide us all. So please get your pen, get your paper out, get your notes out on your phone, write down the things that she's saying, write down all of the resources that she gives out on this episode and move. I'm begging you, especially as someone who cannot vote myself, I'm begging you to go out there and vote for those of us who can't, because this will affect us forever. And I know that it is hard. I know it's tedious. And I know so many barricades have been put up all around each of you to stop you from doing that. And I know that people are suppressing how important this is, the people who are so powerful who should not be suppressing this. And so it feels very daunting. She makes this undaunting. She completely simplifies the system for me and for all of us in this episode. And I left this chat feeling motivated and I hope you feel the same. Send it to your friends, send it to anyone who you think needs this little kind of like jolt and kick up the arse. But please enjoy the extraordinary Ashley Allison. Alison, welcome to Iway. How are you? I'm doing great. We have two weeks before our midterm elections, and so lots of things going on. 
hundred percent. Okay. So about a week ago, I was at a dinner where they had excellent speakers talking about the midterm, telling us everything we need to know, galvanizing everyone in the room to do everything they can to make sure that we influence as many people as possible to move and organize for what are going to be some of the most important midterms in history. And you were one of those speakers and I fell madly in love with you within 15 <laughs> minutes and literally got on my knees <laughs> and asked you to come to my podcast and, and speak and educate me and my followers on all of the things that you know from your fucking extraordinary career. And, and I think one of the things that's the most interesting to me is that you've had this kind of like, you know, beyond 15 years at like the kind of height of political organizing, but that isn't what you started as. You started as a teacher. Can yeah. we talk a little bit about that transition that you made from, from teacher into politics? Yeah. You know, I've always loved politics. I actually wasn't sure how to get into it. Um, but when I was in college, I studied abroad in South Africa and, people were desperate for access to public education. And in that moment, I come from a family of educators. I said, when I graduated from college, I wanted to go into the classroom as my service back and everything that all of my teachers and my family had poured into me. So three years in the classroom in Bedford-Stuyvesant, Brooklyn, at Boys and Girls High School, teaching high school special education um, during the time when Barack Obama is running for his first term as president. And mm -hmm. I have to tell you, my seniors who were some of them were going to be able to vote, the way their eyes lit up and the way we were able to engage in conversation about that election excited me. But then the other reality was they were in a school that was not properly funded. Um, teachers were coming out of their own pocket to pay for school supplies and support student needs. And I was like, this doesn't feel right. Like these kids are into our democracy and yet they are being unjustly serviced. And I know that my education background was not, was fully funded. And I thought, well, what can I do to change that? And so I went to law school and I started volunteering on the Obama campaign and I just fell in love with organizing and the transition happened. But I will tell you, I think I have been successful in politics because of my time in the classroom, because if you can convince a high school teenager of something, you can convince anybody. <laughs> and I think about the work that when I develop a campaign or a strategy, I think about would this reach, would it have impacted the kids that I taught? And if the answer is no, I dig deeper and try and find it, find a way for it to be more effective. Because we need to reach young voters. We need to reach voters who are often forgotten about in this world. And that is kind of how I came into politics and what drives my political theory every single day. Well, we know that you've been extremely successful because you were the director of the National Coalitions for the Biden-Harris 2020 presidential campaign. And, and you are a significant part of how we were able to engage more people than ever before in an election. And actually, you, you were so helpful in mobilizing and, and encouraging people to use that vote that they have. And so we need to learn about every level of politics to make sure that we are paying attention to who the governors are, right? There's, and yes. I beg your pardon, because I'm still relatively new to America. So I'm still like working out this justice system, but even down to electing our judges, finding out yes. that it was a judge who was able to block uh, a ridiculous heartbeat bill when it came to uh, reproduction rights, like knowing that these are the people, that's every level of government that we need to be taking into our own hands as to who it is that we elect. Because not only are yeah. those people going to graduate in their careers to go on further, to gain more power, that's how Bitch McConnell happened. But yeah. it's vital to um, it's vital to understand this. And so I wonder if you wouldn't mind breaking down to me what's going on during these midterms, what's at stake, why it is so vital that we move now. Otherwise, yeah. we, we might not have the chance later. Yeah, well, first, I want to say thank you for the shout out on our work on the Biden campaign. I will say it was a massive collective team mm -hmm. effort, people on the campaign and people who have been organizing in states for decades. And I always am so grateful for the work folks do, even when 
people don't know their names because that's what makes the difference. For this election, you know, I used to work in the Obama White House and my issue around reform was criminal justice. And I started a month before Michael Brown was murdered. And there was a lot we could do in the executive branch through the president, but there was so much we could not do. And I remember the night when it was clear that the police officer who killed Michael Brown, charges weren't going to be brought against him. And the person who decided that was the prosecutor. And the prosecutor was elected by the people of Ferguson. And it was this moment where people realized their electoral power beyond just the presidency, beyond just governors, the folks that are farther down on the ballot that we don't know their names and they don't make national news until there's a tragedy. But fast forward to this cycle in my hometown, the heartbeat bill that you were just referring in my home state of Ohio, an elected judge stopped that bill at this moment. We have people, we have 36 governors who are up for election this cycle, and we don't hear about a lot of them. We hear, you know, some big names, some big races, but 36 governors. Every House candidate is up for re-election. Right now, Democrats hold the House, but that could swing either way. And it really is up for grabs depending on turnout. We have Senate races that are up in, in blue states, red states, purple states. These are the people who will decide, your, your congressional leaders, your senators will decide if there's a national abortion ban. Not Joe Biden, not former President Donald Trump or Barack Obama, these individuals on the ballot right now. These are the people that will decide whether or not these essential workers, as we come out of the most, um, the heightened state of this pandemic, the people who kept our country going will decide if they get an increase in federal minimum wage that has been stuck mm-hmm. for years. These are the people who decide whether or not you get to keep your health insurance the way it is or privatize health insurance. Elected officials at every level, including the president, but at every level play such a critical role. Governors, state legislatures, they're the folks that decide whether or not that six week bill, heartbeat bill in Ohio is going to be law or not. And so we have such an ability. Democracy is so precious and it is not perfect and no candidate is perfect, but we have an ability to make our voice heard. And when you get, when you vote and when you turn out at high numbers, young people, black people, uh, queer people, you have the ability then to hold those folks accountable. You are then their boss because you elected them. And if they don't, do what you want them to do, you can get them out of their job quickly. But you got to show up and you can't let perfection be the enemy of the good because none Mm -hmm. of us are perfect. Sometimes we want our elected officials to be perfect, but no one is perfect. Your car insurance is not perfect. The apartment that I live in is not perfect, but we still engage. We still participate. So I don't want everyone, anyone to ever feel disenchanted Frustrated. I understand where it comes from, but know your power. Like you can stand in your power, you can organize your friends, and change can come, but not if we sit on the sidelines. It's a vital point that you're making, and it was one of the things that made me so desperate to have you on the podcast was your incredibly real discussion about the fact that we must not seek like complete purity. I think sometimes it's that search for purity of absolutely loving a candidate or absolutely loving a party and really backing everything they stand for that stops us from voting at all because we don't want to put our vote behind anything that we don't believe in. But we just kind of have to try and make the best out of what we've got, essentially. Right. We've yeah. just got to you say it better than me. Well, you I, talk I now. also <laughs> want to point out examples because I think sometimes we are overwhelmed with the negative and we mm-hmm. forget the wins because it feels let's take student loan debt cancellation. That was not a sub a topic that in the beginning of the Biden campaign and many of the presidential campaigns, folks support it. But what happened? Young people, my generation, millennials, we showed up and we said, we want a commitment. Uh, if you're the Democratic nominee, we, we want you to commit to canceling student loan debt. And what just happened? It's not the perfect cancellation plan, but because we elected someone, we made them put a commitment to it, it actually happened. And that doesn't happen if young people don't show up. It just doesn't. 
no, no country is perfect. America is not perfect. But I think about the civil rights movement and how long sometimes people think like, oh, the civil rights movement was a couple of years. No, like the Voting Rights Act took a decade to pass a decade and we're still striving for perfection. So it can't um, the analogy I like to use that I've been using recently is about engaging in democracy as like a relationship. You know, if you have a one night stand, it's not going to like it's like one night might have consequences later in life. But if you are in a committed relationship with democracy, what do you need to do in a relationship? You got to show up regularly. You got to be in conversation with your partner. They get to hold you accountable and you have to be held accountable. That's how we can be in relationship with our elected officials and governors. We show up regularly and vote. We hold them accountable. We get in conversations with them. I'm in, I'm in relationship with democracy and I think everyone else needs to. And when you're in a good relationship, you feel better. Things get better. It's healthier. But I don't want to be, I don't think anyone should have a one night stand and vote one time and think that the world is going to change because that's just not the way any relationship works. No, and, and no relationship is perfect to start with and we have to build on them. We have all had to back people who we don't agree with on every single thing. And so it's just about really doing the work and also really looking into people's past, you know, learning that, you know, right now in uh, California, we have someone who's running for mayor who became a Democrat in January of this year, who's been a kind of career Republican who then went like kind of he did, decided not to have a, a party for like 12 years and now is suddenly running as a Democrat, but ha- all of his political affiliations have all been Republican. So it's like, you really need to not just look at who's the Democrat, who's the Republican, look okay. deeper, look into their political history, look into the people that they are funding. This person has funded a lot of very, very anti-choice politicians in the past. Like we need to take these things into account. Now, the person who's his political opponent, Karen Bass, also imperfect. But when I zoom out and look at who's going to do more for California, who actually cares, who's actually on the ground, who understands every level of the societal structure, that's Karen Bass. I'm going with her. And the things that I don't agree with her on, the things that I think she might be being too harsh about, that I will be a part of mobilising to challenge later. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now listen, we all carry around different stresses, big, small, medium size, and a lot of us keep them bottled up because sometimes we just have to. But doing that all of the time can really, really start to negatively impact your life. And I say that from experience. I'm British. We are told to never say how we're feeling about anything ever. And uh, that's why so many of us are so sad. Now, a way that I was able to remedy that was by having therapy, which was super helpful for me, not only because it's amazing to get things off your chest, but also all week you know as you're bottling things up because it's not always the time or place to say exactly how you feel you know you're going to get that hour where you're able to get everything off your chest and say it exactly as you want to and this therapist isn't going to take it personally and they're not going to hold it against you or throw it back in your face during an argument over dinner next week you just have this complete freedom honestly I think everyone should have therapy regardless of whether they think they need it because it's so amazing to have a confidant it's a journal that talks back to you and helps you with all of your problems. I think therapy is just a safe space to get everything off your chest to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, then maybe you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be super convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you can switch therapists if you don't like them anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash iWay today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iWay. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. 
Save big money and start your spring project with help from Menards. We offer a huge selection of body plants, veggies, and herbs to plant at home and grow yourself. Right now, all four and a half inch Bonnie plants are on sale through May 5th. Head to the Menards Garden Center to get your garden growing and check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. I feel so impotent because I'm not a citizen, so I can't vote. And so I'm also partially here begging everyone to do it in my name and in the name of the many people who are being shut out of voting, not because they're not citizens, but because there are people organising against people having the right to vote. Can you expand a bit on that? Yeah, I mean, there was a time in our country's history where because we were women, we would not have had the right to vote. Because I'm Black, I would not have the right to vote. And so... I mean, let's compare it to abortion rights. There, my entire life, I have always known I had a right to choose until recently that right was taken away. And so it's the same thing with voting. I now know a life when I have always had access to the ballot, but that has not always been the case in, in American history. And we need to not take it for granted. So for example, there are things like voter ID laws in certain states that people try and put in place to make it more challenging to vote. There are, there are many, many resources that I'll share in a little bit where you can get education on how you vote, what you need to vote. There are people who have served their time and have committed crimes in our country, have served their time, are now out and still cannot vote. And there are people working to say, look, they are citizens, they should have the franchise, but we can't take this for granted. And I, I fundamentally believe voting rights is something that I have always worked on and have cared a great deal about because, you know, the first time I voted, I was in the 2000 election, Bush v. Gore. And a flashback is like I, I was very disappointed in how that that outcome came and it was decided by the Supreme Court. And Voter suppression is real. Voter fraud is not. It's a narrative that people use to try and suppress young people, black people, poor people, people with disabilities votes. Um, but again, the people you elect matter. Like you should take a look at Georgia. The current governor wants a very, has signed into law a very suppressive bill. Now, one thing I just want to make real clear is sometimes people say, but turnout is so high. Yes, people are overcoming extreme barriers to vote so that we can lower those barriers. Turnout is high. Doesn't just because turnout is high doesn't mean suppression is not happening. Um, so we just can't take it for granted when you think about the late great John Lewis who shed blood on the Edmund Pettus Bridge on Bloody Sunday just for the right to vote. Um, that is not too far from the past, and we can find ourselves in that situation now if we don't engage and elect people who believe, one, every people should have access to citizenship, but two, that people who are citizens, their vote, they should get on the rolls, they should be able to vote, and their vote should ultimately be counted. And can we discuss some of the ways in which uh, that voting is being suppressed? I mean, for example, the deterrence and making people wait 8, 10, 12 hours, no water, yes. no access to food, but can you expand on that, please? Yeah, so a lot of times in certain communities, there are limited polling locations. And because there are fewer polling locations and there is a demand to vote, there are long lines. And, you know, if you're working a job, can you take off three hours to go vote? Probably not. If um, you don't know your schedule ahead of the week before, maybe you need to vote by mail. But long lines are one way. Voter ID is one way. Um, signature matching. There have been a lot of folks who have tried to say, Right now in the state of Pennsylvania, if you don't sign and date your, um, and particularly date your ballot, people are trying to challenge that those ballots should not count. Now, luckily, the Secretary of State um, is pushing back on that and saying, no, like we can cure these ballots. We can make sure these folks have voted and people should be counted whether or not the ballot is dated or not, as long as we receive it before Election Day. Um, and they're just little tactics that like, make it a little harder and a hope that like, because it's just a little harder, you just won't vote. And people know folks are busy. People know times are hard. People know that um, voting, if voting is more challenging, folks won't engage. But here's the thing, don't let these tactics intimidate you. 
Don't let them win. Don't if you need to get a voter uh, a photo ID there. If you go to one eight six six R vote, they can walk you through the state rules on what you need to vote. If you have to wait in line, once you're in line, if the long the line is super long and your polling place closed, guess what? You still get to vote. Don't let somebody tell you to get out of line because the line is too long. If you live in a state like Florida or many others, we have you can vote by mail. So you can get your ballot now, you can request it, so you might not have to wait in line. People will tell you that some of these tactics are not a good way to vote, but they are. We just saw because of 2020 and COVID, vote by mail is a very effective way to vote. So don't let people try and misinform you, uh, give you bad information. Check your source. Again, that's 866-R-VOTE. It's a hotline you can call um, and get you the information that you need to know how, because each state is different in their voting laws, and we want to make sure you're equipped and prepared to overcome any challenges that you might face um, so that your voice can be heard this cycle. And we keep hearing the sentence that our democracy is under threat, right? And and that is a, mm-hmm. it's like a big, it's a terrifying sentence, but a lot of people don't really understand exactly what we'll mean by that. Yeah. And it, it feels so unfathomable because we look at you know, these countries, uh, especially in the Middle East, where, you know, democracy has fallen and, and dictatorship has risen. And, and there's always been this kind of like, but it can never happen over here. And even after the insurrection, there's still a kind of doubt of like, it can never happen over here. When, look, look what's happening to my country, Britain. We n- never, ever, ever could we have imagined this shit would happen. Yeah. And so can you explain the the depth of that sentiment and, and how much we stand to lose if we don't engage now? Yeah, you know, one thing that folks who are dictators try and do the first, and if you go back in history and you study them, is they try to sow doubt and uncertainty in the system. And that really was prevalent in 2020. And you saw the then President Donald Trump do that even in 2016, even though he won, sowing doubt in people to not believe or trust the system. As we approached in 2018 and in 2020, he continued this narrative to his base and on social media. Luckily, he's not on social media for now, but this doubt that like the election could potentially be stolen. And then when people from both sides of the party, despite every legal challenge, said there was no voter fraud, there were about there were not ballots that were illegally cast. There all the lawsuits, the 60 plus lawsuits that his campaign put in front of the court, none of them were successful. They still use a narrative like don't trust the system. And so we have now election deniers and you have people like on January 6th, people would, it could have never happened. Well, it did. I was in Washington, D.C. when it happened and people stormed the Capitol because they felt like something was being taken away from them. But the reality is Republicans and Democrats certified that election because people showed out in record number and no longer wanted Donald Trump to be our president because he was endangering democracy. Now, fast forward now, he continues this sentiment of sowing doubt the election was stolen. And now we have candidates, two thirds of Republicans on the ballot this cycle are election deniers. And the reason why we say democracy is so fragile is that many of those people are running for offices that will determine not the outcome of the 2022 election, but the 2024 election. And there's an effort to put people in place who don't want to certify the election, who want to sow this doubt, who want to destabilize our democracy so that in 2024, whoever wins, if it's Donald Trump or another Republican um, that is an election denier, that they could actually overturn the uh, the validity of the election. So that's why this election is so important. And people say it's not hyperbole that the, our democracy is under attack. Again, democracy is only as strong as your engagement with it. If you are a passive stand by, stand by our observer, it can fall. But it's an active relationship that we have to have. And if we can make sure, now I will say, you know, to date. The only people who are election deniers are Republicans um, and their party is really under attack. And I think whenever I talk about this, this is not about party. This is literally uh, putting politics aside, putting party aside and putting country first and believing that the will of the people, that the voters get to decide. And there are some people, 
same people who want to suppress votes are the same people who don't want the voters to ultimately decide and undermine our democracy. So that's why this election is so critical, because who could potentially be elected that would manage and govern future elections? And that will, yeah, that will, that will fully determine who our next president of the United States is. This is our sort of last shot at being able to somewhat have some sort of control over what the outcome is. I also just want to make, uh, make it clear that, you know, you were saying that Donald Trump isn't on social media. He's not on left-leaning social media, That's but right. he's very much so on social media. And so he's still out here. He's still out here. He's still spreading like misinformation. He's still entering into the territory of QAnon conspiracy and starting to, you know, uh, fan those flames. Uh, We also have like a a bunch of other people who are parroting his same sentiment. Um, Please don't hear that there's a greater turnout. There's more youth engagement and then think, okay, well, then we can relax because they are also hearing that there is an unprecedented youth turnout in in Democrats and in left-leaning people. Uh, They are aware that we are also showing up. They saw what happened when we showed up in 2020 and they have potentially learned their lesson. So as much as we're showing up more than before, we are so, forgive me for if this I don't know. I don't ever want to piss you off because I think I'm such a fan. Um, but uh, there is an arrogance to liberals and to the left where we don't really pay attention to what's happening on the right as much as we could. We're like, we're worrying about our own base and we don't take them seriously. And I think part of that comes to the fact that a lot of the people who are sent out in front uh, as Republicans just are actual clowns, like people who are pulling like circus shit. And and so therefore we are able to look at those like few individuals who are at the front of the party, including Donald Trump, and just be like, well, they're fucking idiots. They're not like, we're going to be able to beat them. They don't know what they're doing. They're talking nonsense. They're talking about conspiracy theories. Uh, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene, I think being a mm-hmm. prime example of that. But they have not been this successful for no reason. Those people are just the kind of distraction tactic in my in my personal opinion. I believe they are diversions for us to all ridicule and laugh at and underestimate the Republican Party. There are highly informed, highly educated, highly organized and highly privileged people behind those clowns pulling yes. all the fucking puppet strings that are why we keep having our rights revoked one at a time in perfect order. And it is a well organized, like, multi-decade long efforts like this abortion shit didn't just happen overnight they have been putting people in place for 30 years in order to or or more even to overturn roe v wade and so it is so vital that we do not underestimate the opposition and that we do not think that they are not turning out as much as we are because they also know that this is a defining moment this is when they can take the house they can take the senate they can take the election they can take democracy and so sorry for my rant but no, I just think we never, can be incredibly that, smug, you know, and I think we can be yeah, complacent I and I think we've done it before. And and I yes. think that we are at risk of doing it again, especially yes. because it feels like more clowns are out of the circus than ever before. So we can underestimate yes. them. We must not underestimate them. They are showing us that they are taking away our human rights one after the other successfully. Yes. And I say never take anything for granted. You know, in 2019, people took some things, some races for granted. Every state. That's why I made the point about the 36 governors. We can't take any of those seats for granted, even if it's Mm -hmm. in a very conservative state. Every race, we need to be running candidates in every state, in every every position. We cannot take anything for granted. And I really appreciate your point about him not being necessarily on Twitter and Facebook, but there are other social media platforms that he's on. You know where else he is? On the campaign trail. And he shows up at places for certain candidates and he spews this hate and this lie. And sometimes the candidates try and distance themselves, but they want his endorsement. They want his support. They want him to fundraise. And so don't don't be fooled by someone who is starting to distance themselves a little bit in the general when particularly before they want they suck they sought his out his advice in this very cycle it is a part of a plan to undermine our democracy and that is why this election is so critical but i think everything you said is we we cannot be passive we cannot take this for granted because we've done it before and it has come back to bite us 100 percent, and just know that they are also so galvanized for this fight i'm this is 
This feels like we're just teetering on an edge that I've never seen before in my lifetime. This is really, this is really scary. And I think it's especially reinforced by the like demonstrable rise in fascism around the world and Italy, like in, I mean, Britain is moving in a really disturbing direction. I think Brexit was the sign of the darkest days and look at the way that my country is suffering because of that. Mm -hmm. Like we are seeing this all over the world, Turkey, like everywhere. So this is, this is a, I mean, France, France, just by, by a fucking hair managed to retain its democracy. They were going in that direction. And so we are seeing this pattern emerge all over the world. And I think that that is galvanizing the opposition. And I think it's, I hope it's scaring the fucking shit out of us yeah. so that we move and we act. I think one thing though, I want to be really clear is you used a word hope and hope is, I've learned a discipline. It is mm-hmm. not a passive state. It is an active word that we must engage in. And sometimes, again, we hear all of this and we're like, throw our hands up and like, what can I do? You can vote. I, you can literally, like it is, sometimes people want the recipe to be so confusing. No, it's actually not that confusing. You can show up and you can vote. And you can be an informed voter and you can elect people who want voters to decide who want our democracy, who want to have an inclusive society. Um, and it's, we did it already. We did it in 2020. And it feels like because of COVID, I feel like 2020 feels like very far in the distance for some people, but we did it in the most challenging circumstances. And so we can do it again. So I don't want people to also feel hopeless. Part of why we're having this conversation is for you. So you are informed to then remain disciplined and hopeful and take action to keep us moving forward and not going back to an era in our country where neither one of us would have been seen as whole people. A hundred percent. And also know that like there are strategies in place, right, to continue to disenfranchise us. The the reproductive bans are, you know, not to sound like I'm now putting my own like tin hat on, but the reproductive bans, like forcing people into parenthood, forcing people into pregnancy is more likely to disenfranchise them, right? You take away mm-hmm. their opportunities, you take away their freedom. They are more exhausted. They are less likely to have time to be politically engaged, politically right. motivated to show up on that street because they can't get a fucking babysitter. So they can't riot or they can't not riot necessarily, but they can't protest. protest they can't yeah. do any of these things. You know, we, we, destroy the uh the energy to dissent when we force people's lives into disarray and so i think it's 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 really important to pay attention to why these things are happening why the voter suppression why all these little kind of freedoms are being taken away why our prison system is so unbelievably fucked why it's so easy to enter the prison system why it is then so easy for your voter rights to be taken away once you do these are all very carefully. None of these things are coincidence. These are carefully mapped out plans. And so anyway, I think, you know, we've made our point that it's scary. I would like to now move on partially. We, everyone knows they have to vote to ask you, you know, like, so let's say someone like me, relatively new here, or someone who's 18 and just starting to get politically motivated. Are there specific websites in each state people can go to, to kind of look up these candidates? Because the internet is a fucking mess. Uh, yeah. What would you recommend as like first steps, like for like someone like me? Well, the first thing I think you should do is you want to go to a website. Either I'm going to give you a couple organizations' names so that you can Google their names because websites sometimes are hard to remember. So you can look up an organization called All Voting Is Local. They will give you an overview of what you need to vote. The ACLU, if you Google them, they have information about what you need to vote. You can Google an organization called Campaign Legal Center, because I think we're in a critical moment right now. A lot of voter registration Mm -hmm. deadlines have closed. So you want to be informed and make sure you're on the roll so you can actually vote. Then as we get closer to the election day, where do you find out who to vote for? Now, depending on which party, you know, I've always worked for Democrats. You can go to the DNC, um, the Democratic National uh, Committee, and research candidates. You can go to um, your state party. So the Ohio Democratic Party website and find out the candidates that are available there. I'm never going to tell you who to vote for, but I will tell you, I think what is on the ballot, not like in explicit words, but abortion is on the ballot this cycle. Democracy is on the ballot this cycle. We talk a lot about the economy. 
Well, if you can't get a job and you can't make a living wage, you have to work four jobs just to make ends meet. That is on the ballot. And Democrats are the ones fighting for um, uh, the opportunity for everyone to thrive and not struggle every single day to pay gas, to pay for your gas bill, to pay for your light bill, to pay for your groceries. Now, the one thing I will say is sometimes when you walk in, there are sample ballots. That's why going to your party, like your Ohio Democratic or your Georgia Democratic Party, because there are so many races that can be overwhelming, they will then list all the different candidates, the judges, the city council, the um, election administrator, any ballot initiatives, because some states will have ballot initiatives on specific issues. But those are a few websites people can go to to figure out the information. You can also um, always check the source. A lot of times when things are .org, that means they're a nonprofit, so they're not affiliated with the party. Um, If you feel more comfortable getting that type of information, I would be mindful of .com websites because a lot of times they're for profit and they're guiding you into a certain direction. But all voting is local, ACLU, Campaign Legal Center, the Lawyers Committee, They are all great organizations that will get you the information you need on how to vote um, on Election Day or before for many states. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... The charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. (laughs) No, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. further into this like let's say we are able to secure our democracy let's say we manage to pull this off right the fight is not over then because there's a a different type of fight that you speak to really beautifully um which is that okay fine we can maybe impact policy for a while we can hold them off a little longer we can maybe save the next election something we have to work on. You talk about the fact that you can, I mean, these are your words, right? You say that you can pass a bill, but you cannot legislate hate out of someone's heart. Now, I love, mm-hmm. I love that sentence because that is the other, other, the other battle. I don't really want to live in a country where we're just forcing people to tolerate people who look like you and me or mm-hmm. people who look like the communities that our loved ones come from. Um, I, I would like to live in a world where we can actually accept each other. And I don't want this. I, I hate this feeling of war, especially because of the fact that we have so much more in common than we have apart, which I know you also speak to all the time. The climate is fucking us all. The climate is fucking the the people in the middle of this country who might be voting conservative uh, and Republican more than it is any of us on the, you know, the elite, you know, coastal states. Like it is... Uh, it is vital that we understand that we're all being impacted by the student problem, by the, the healthcare issues, by the mortality rates. Like there's countless things that impact all of us exactly the same. And somehow these things are being turned into politics when they're just humanitarian issues. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so yeah. what is your strategy? Like what is your hope, hopeful strategy for us to actually also genuinely start to like heal this divide because I'm not up for this war I don't like it I don't want I don't like looking down I'm not I I don't look down on people I recognize we are products of our environment and fear I'm I want unity I want us to feel good about the changes we make in America all together yeah one thing I wanted before I go into that is say that just like in 2020 we might not know the results on election night so also don't find panic and despair if votes are still counting. That is totally Mm -hmm. normal. So Mm -hmm. stay the course and let every vote be counted. I do fundamentally believe that you cannot legislate 
hate out of people's hearts. Legislation is put in place to protect the people that are often hated. And that's an important distinction and is an important to have happen. You know, I found myself at a point in my life where I had gone into my corner and I was just like, I'm not going to be friends with Republicans. I don't like I don't want to debate it. I'm not I'm not having this conversation. And I think a lot of us are there and I'm not judging people who are there because there is, you know, this podcast is about mental health, about protecting yourselves. There is a survival mechanism that we all deserve to have that if you feel triggered or traumatized by having tough conversations with people that you need to go and protect your mental health and your physical health so that you can have productive conversations. And I did some of that work, but I then realized very quickly that most of the time we are a conversation away from realizing how similar we are. And I was put in some environments where you know, after Charlottesville happened that I was having conversations with people that were on the other aisle, other side of the aisle and worked for people that I was so frustrated with. And I told my own personal experience of what it was like living in America as a black woman from the Midwest, now living in at the time DC before in New York. And they had never heard that story before. And I don't know who to fault for it, but I decided not to cast fault, but be vulnerable and tell my truth. Now, once I tell you my truth and my story, if you receive it, I can stay in dialogue with you. If you question my truth and story, I I don't have to tolerate that, but I will not run from my own truth. People have to be willing to come and have conversations. And then people have to be on the other side willing to accept that just because you didn't know about something doesn't mean it's not true. Just because you didn't have never experienced discrimination doesn't mean discrimination is not real. Just because you might not understand um, somebody transitioning that is trans doesn't mean that that's not a real experience. And you have to honor people's truth. And I believe that we, again, we are one conversation away from realizing we have more in common than not. And a lot of my friends laugh at me and say, I'm so, I'm too hopeful. But I, I do believe that being in your corner is not, you're gonna just be talking to yourself, people. And it's just going to be like a echo chamber and you're not going to move anyone. We got to get out of our silos on both sides. We have to honor people's lived experience. We have to be vulnerable and we have to be willing to um, see each other's humanity. 100%. I mean, I've been trying to speak about the necessity for abortion access in a way that doesn't feel political so much Mm -hmm. as societal, where I've been trying to appeal to people to understand that, okay, fine, if we take the moral debate out of this, if we take the right to freedom out of this, which already feels insane to say, we think about what happens later, right? Okay, so something like 700,000 babies, I think, this was like a 2019 statistic, were aborted in 2019, right? So we're talking about adding now, like forcing at least 700,000 children into our society, unwanted children, children that there isn't a societal structure for. We are in a country that doesn't have enough baby formula. We don't have enough, uh, um, we don't have any like childcare. We don't have uh, a significant or sufficient or almost any maternity leave. Um, there's no welfare support for young people there. We have a, a, a well-intentioned but quite broken um not just adoption system, but, you know, foster Mm -hmm. care system. Yeah. And uh, in which there are huge racial discriminations that happen. Like if you are a black boy, Mm -hmm. you are something like five times less likely to be adopted, you know? And so, okay, so fine. So, so all of that happens. Those kids grow up unwanted. A lot of the time we have people who are being forced to have children, uh, not able to continue their work, uh, not able to continue their educations, falling, their lives are falling into disarray, potentially the lives of their children are falling into disarray. What does that society look like? Does that society look like a definite increase in homelessness, a definite like uh, increase in crime, a definite increase in the mental health state of of our states, like 
we're, we're, we're saying that we're afraid of overcrowding. We're afraid of immigrants because we don't, we don't want more people here, but we're forcing hundreds and thousands, maybe millions eventually of people into this world who are unwanted, who are, people are not ready for these, for these babies to join us. Like this can, they can derail someone's lives. We have a crazy mortality rate again with the racial bias, which is more predisposed to black women dying in childbirth. Like what does that society look like? Is that the society that you want to live in? where economically we are fucked and crowded and our healthcare system is completely broken by then. Does that benefit anyone? Are you going to feel good about that vote that you made based off of like a moral fantasy? Well, I think there's a couple things that you're raising here. One of those 700,000, I'm not, I, I hadn't heard that statistic, but of those uh, abortions that had happened, many of them are because of miscarriages. Many mm-hmm. of them are because of rape and incest. Many of them are because of the mother's health or the baby's health. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want to force that on anybody. I don't want to force somebody to have to make a decision about whether they pick their life or their child's life that I I would only, only I would never even want to have to make that decision, let Mm -hmm. alone force it on somebody. So that's the first thing why I think, you know, the conversation around abortion, it is actually a moral conversation. It's oh, about, no, no. Yes, yeah, sorry. You know, if yeah, I wasn't no, clear, no. I, I completely agree with you. Those no, are the lines I that do. I have said I you, for yeah. all these years. Yeah. Like I've only taken that position of like what is yeah. right and what is fair and what is what is justice and, and just taking into the fact that a mother's life is like a human life. My reason for my abortion was not an emergency. It was not uh, uh, because I was a product of rape or incest, uh, uh, it all like the contraception failed and I was uh, not stable and not ready and didn't want a child. So I've always taken that position just to be clear. I'm saying that if I could appeal to the coldest, most fiscally like minded and, and uh, least attached to the care for our humanity, that's what I would say is that you yeah. will still have to live in that same society that you are creating. So what are you going to do then? But I, I totally, I, I know you feel like it's a moral decision, but mm. I think that we often, it's flipped. Like we don't have morals when we talk about abortion. We actually do. Mm-hmm. We are, that's what I mean when I say, like, we actually do. We are making thoughtful decisions. It, n- never have I ever heard of somebody saying that their decision to have an abortion was an easy decision. It is a personal mm-hmm. decision that folks sit with and that you mm-hmm. remember for the rest of your life. And I don't want one side that is a pro-life side to think that they have won the moral argument because they are able to quote a Bible scripture because the Bible talks about taking care of your poor. The Bible talks about taking care of your weak. The Bible talks about taking care of, you know, if we want to talk about morality and Christianity and scripture, Jesus sought the least of those and went out. And so often people who quote scripture and quote religion as the moral high ground don't support policies that help poor people. Don't support giving folks a second chance. And so the hypocrisy with that is what I find challenging. And, and I, I do think when we talked earlier in the conversation about taking things for granted, I do think sometimes progressives have seeded this moral conversation to the right my spirituality is just as strong as someone with an R by their name. And I will go toe to toe on that. And I, I talk to my God every day, all day long. And so just because I support mm-hmm. abortion doesn't mean or that someone has had an abortion. I, I refuse to see the moral high ground. Now, on the economic issue, it's the and I just I always want to be clear on that because it bothers me when people use religion as a reason for their policies, but they're, oh, they don't absolutely. apply their religion but, consistently. Because what they, about the lives that are already here, right? What yes, about the people? Yes. What about the homeless? What about the people who can't access healthcare? Yes. What about the um, the people who are trapped in fucking containment units, you know, at yes. the border? Like, what about if we are so pro-life? Children under yeah, the Trump, like, if, it is so If we are so pro-life, Exactly. Then, then what about yes. the lives that are already here? You know, I, it's been said before many, many times that the unborn are very, are a very convenient group to advocate for because they don't require any resources. They don't require any support. So That's it's right. very easy to fight in their corner. But the second that baby is out of the womb, that baby is on its fucking own. And if that baby is brown, if that baby is black, if that baby is queer, if that baby is going to be tra- like that, if that baby is trans, yeah. like if that baby has a disability, invisible. Good luck. Good Good luck. luck. Yeah. 
So I think for the economic argument, you know, we know that when children are born into a certain environment, depending on where their reading level is by third grade, will de- determine their their lifetime outcome, right? Whether or not mm-hmm. they find themselves incarcerated, whether or not they'll be able to graduate from college or be gainfully employed. So what I say to folks is that regardless of where you stand on abortion, is that let's start developing policies that for people who, for for undocumented people, for children, let's actually put together um, a plan that will allow them to live their best and fullest life. And we know that if you invest in children on the front end, the the, um, investment that you have to do on the back end decreases i.e. look at the criminal justice system. We have all these people locked up right now. It is draining city and state budgets for things like marijuana that now are legal and people are making. I mean, they just said in Florida, Circle K is now going to start selling weed at their uh, locations. And there are literally people in Florida sitting in jail for selling weed. I mean, the hypocrisy and draining Florida's budget. And guess who's up and could do something about this? Their governor, Ron DeSantis, but instead he wants to criminalize people for, you know, voter fraud, so to say, and send the police out to arrest people who were told by state officials they could vote. So it, the hypocrisy just is there. And when you talk about like how people should be educated on who to vote for, we are complex creatures. We have many different ways that we identify. Don't be a single issue voter. Don't be told that like, depending on where you stand on one issue, you have to then vote for one party. Look at a candidate in a comprehensive way and see if what they say out of their the right side of their mouth matches up with what they're saying out the left side of their mouth. And it often doesn't in one party. And that is what they don't want you to check. And that is what some of those websites I was telling you about, particularly party websites, will give you information on that. And be empowered to ask those tough questions. You are, again, be in relationship with them. You are allowed to ask those tough questions. But you know, on the abortion issue, I think it is one of the ones that I find um, to be the most hypocritical for conservatives, mm-hmm. that they it, it's not a straight line and um, they are very extreme um, and that Many of them also have benefited from having access to abortion in their state, and they want to pretend like they don't. Some candidates are facing that challenge right now, i.e. look at Georgia. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But, you know, there are some people who say, well, that was his personal choice, but his policy. Well, you know what? It is a personal choice for every single person living in this country, and it should remain a personal choice. And it's not the case right now. But if we show up, we can actually, the president just most recently said that if we, if Democrats win the House and the Senate, he one of the first pieces of legislation he would work to do is to codify, which is make it federal law that abortion is legal again across this country. And I think that is one of the most important issues because abortion is an economic issue. And does that then override uh, any state being able to outlaw it? Yes. Just for anyone, sometimes when I've been like posting about it, some people have been like, what exactly does codify mean? And I don't feel um, as though I'm the right person to ask that question. So could you explain exactly what it means? Yeah, federal law overruled state law. Um, and mm-hmm. this also goes to the hypocrisy of what the conversation is about. So I'll just do a quick lesson real quick on the Supreme Court, the branches of government. Oh, like guns? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the Supreme Court decided in the Dobbs decision in June of 2022 that abortion should be a state's issue. And so you saw states put in very aggressive heartbeat bills, um, but codifying Roe, which has passed now in the House um, and has not had movement in the Senate because we don't have enough, even though Democrats run the Senate, there aren't enough votes to override what we call a filibuster. We need 60 votes. And right now we only have 51, um, which is why the Senate election is so important. Um, would would make abortion legal. And then the Supreme Court, would no, that decision would no longer stand. Um, abortion has never been codified in this country. Roe was a Supreme Court decision that has been the law of the land for 30 years. And now the Dobbs decision, another Supreme Court decision, overrid that. And the way our government is set up is that federal legislation could be passed to overrule the Supreme Court, which is why this election is so important, which is what it would mean to codify Rome. Right. And again, a reminder that 
as much as we have heard that Biden will do this if we take the House, if we take the Senate, especially with enough votes to be able to secure the filibuster. Is that the correct way of saying that? Eliminate, eliminate. Eliminate, the eliminate. Okay, sorry, I'm still learning. Um, That's okay. And it's it's okay to learn. Uh, Okay, so as much as we have heard that that Biden is going to codify Roe, right, if we take the House, if we take the Senate, again, the opposition are also hearing the same information. And so don't take for granted the fact that we've heard that and, you know, the rest of us are going to go out or the rest of you rather, because I can't vote, are going to go out and we're Mm -hmm. going to make sure that that happens. They are hearing the same information. They're hearing all the same news and are likely to be galvanized as much as we are to make sure that that doesn't happen. So show up, show out, share this information, do take the time to educate the people around you if they see things differently. Take the time to register, jump through these frustrating hoops that have been created to stop us, to, to de-incentivize us from going. I know that it will be a fucking shit or boring few hours, days or weeks or even maybe a month of your life, but it will affect the future not only for you, but for the people that you love, for the people who aren't even here yet, and for the society at large that you are going to end up living in for the rest of your life. So take well those said. few fucking, <laughs> take those few opportunities while you still can. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it is up to us. We get to decide the country we live in. And the only way you can do it is to show up and vote. It is literally that simple. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you and I admire you and um, I keep getting nervous uh, when I'm chatting (laughs) because I'm so intimidated by everything that you know and everything that you have done. Like you're an incredible human being and I'm so appreciative that in such a busy time that you came here to educate me and uh, please let me know and let us know now how we can support you the best. Well, I am humbled and uh, a funny story. She came up to me and she said, I'm Jamila Jamel. And I said, I know who you are. (laughs) I I am um, a fan of yours. And I want to say thank you because many, you have a large platform and people listen to you and it takes courage to ask questions that you don't know the answers to and not be ashamed of that. That is, we all are learning, including myself. It takes courage to say, I'm going to use my platform to talk about politics in such a polarized way. So thank you. Um, You have done so much for our country, even though you can't even vote. And so for people who can vote, imagine how much more you can do. Um, The way you support me is by showing up on November 8th. And if you can vote early, get your ballot. But also... Once you take care of yourself, you know how um, when you're on an airplane, they say when the mask falls down, put it on yourself, vote for yourself and then look to your neighbor and ask them, have they voted and ask them, do they have the information? Because you talking to the people, you know, is the best way to motivate those individuals to vote. Don't think your voice doesn't matter. Don't think that you have been forgotten. Um, We all are a part of this. Even if I've never met you and you vote, I'm saying now, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because it will determine. And if if it's your first time voting, don't be ashamed of that. You can start anytime as long as you stay engaged. So um, if you want updates, you can always follow me on Twitter at Ashley R. Allison. I'll be giving real live updates, suggestions on where to go. Um, If you have questions, also on Instagram and TikTok, same handle. But um, Thank you. Thank you, Jamila, because this is such an important time and the future is ours if we show up. You are an incredibly hopeful and inspiring person. And I hope that you have given uh, hope and inspiration to others. You know, I'm British and I'm cynical and uh, hysterical (laughs) and fearful. And so it's really important to have a sober voice like yours. No, I know. I know. And your ability to keep faith through all the cycles that you've gone through and seeing progress and then seeing that progress taken away and still believe that that progress can happen again because you've seen it before is so valuable. And, and so thank you for coming on and just, and just before you leave me, will you please tell me, Ashley Allison, what do you weigh? I weigh that I hope when the story is written of my life that people said when it was hard to make 
a tough decision and it took courage that I had the courage inside of me from my ancestors, from the people who love me to make the card call and make have the courage to do what was right, even when it was hard. I really hope that I can be that person in that moment and that it'll inspire other people to have the courage to do it also, because um, this work is not easy, but we can do it together. And I hope I am an example of courage in action. Good luck to you. I will Thank be you. behind you helping in any way my stupid ass can. All right. <laughs> I Lots of you. love. Lots Thank of love you. Back at you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil is produced and researched by myself, Jamila Jamil, Aaron Finnegan, and Kimmy Gregory. It is edited by Andrew Carson, and the beautiful music you are hearing now is made by my boyfriend, James Blake. If you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It's a great way to show your support. We also have a bonus series exclusively on Stitcher Premium called Ask Jamila Anything. Check it out. You can get a free month of Stitcher Premium by going to stitcher.com forward slash premium and using the promo code IWAY. Lastly, over at IWAY, we would love to hear from you and share what you weigh at the end of this podcast. You can leave us a voicemail at 1-818-660-5543 or email us what you weigh at iwaypodcast at gmail.com. And now... We would love to pass the mic to one of our fabulous listeners. I weigh 30 years and 1 million miles. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Oh, the charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.